This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast, everybody. Great to be with you. You know, when I say that, it's great to be with you. I'm not just throwing that out there every single week because it's an interesting thing to say to start an episode or whatever. I literally look forward to this time every single week, um, partly because it's it's just a passion of mine, but also because this has become a thing for me. And by thing, I mean a routine a regular thing that I've done since what? January 2020. I mean, that's a big chunk of your life, right? When you look back, I mean, I don't think I started doing this uh, weekly when I first started. It was every other week for a while. But very quickly, I realized if I'm going to pump out the content that I have, that I'm writing, that I'm documenting, I'm going to have to move this to an every week thing. And it's been that way since then. So like I said, it's become a thing for me. Every single week, this is part of my life. It's part of my routine. So when I say I'm glad to be with you, I'm glad you're here, I'm not just blowing smoke. All right? Okay, where are we at here? April 4th, 2022. So welcome back. And I really wanted to start with just a transcend human fun fact before we really get started. So fun fact for the week, transcend human is now on TikTok. Oh, yeah. So if you're on TikTok, head on over and subscribe. Um, it's tiktok.com forward slash at transcend human. Or if you just go to the transcend human website, um, you can find the link there. So here's how I plan on using TikTok. So what I want to do is just snapshots on everyday life, right? How can we use the transcend human filter in dealing with the human condition? Simple, real-life examples of how we can transcend human in the world today. Updates on all things transcend human, promoting upcoming episodes and content. And at times, looking back at previous episodes or previous series, things like that, and pulling out tips and tricks from some of those uh, older episodes. So basically, this is going to be the interactive, more front-facing part of transcend human. So when you look at all of the things that I've done so far, you know, the website itself is very static, right? It's just a landing page for people to go to kind of get started. The podcast is audio, you know, so I record it and then you listen to it. And then the other social media platforms to this point have just been highly informationally driven, right? So I'll create a graphic about the the episode of the week and I'll send it out there. And it basically just alerts you that a new episode is available. But TikTok is different, right? It's interactive. You're actually seeing me, hearing me, experiencing life with me. And you can respond, obviously, by liking the post or commenting on them, whatever. Uh, But then again, you already know all that stuff. So for me, this is just weird, right? This is strange because I made a very conscious decision to do a podcast and not to become a YouTuber. I just felt like, the content I have and and just who I am lends itself more toward podcast than video. 
So TikTok is that weird in-between state, right? It's not full-on YouTube videos that I'm doing, but yet it is video. It's front-facing. It's interactive. I've got to, you know, put my makeup on and all that kind of stuff before I do my uh, my episodes. Just kidding. So yeah, we're on TikTok. So get ready for the ride of your life, everyone. <laughs> all right. Let's move into our minute of transparency. This week, we're calling it Bruce Wayne and the Batman. So last week, three of our family members were in town and and able to go see the new Batman movie. My simple explanation is that it was three and a half, three whatever hours of Gotham City. Dark, dingy, rainy, trashy, graffitied walls, crime, violence, with a little bit of Catwoman thrown in for good measure. Nothing earth-shattering, just another fun take on the whole Dark Knight saga, right? And something that I'm glad I went to see. But my question is this. Do you ever feel like Bruce Wayne? Like you're the one thing by day and the other thing by night, or you're one thing at home and you're another thing out in public? I'm sure we all feel that way on some level. I mean, I'd like to suggest that we all have three sides to our personality. There's the side that nobody else sees. So this is our internal internal self, our feelings, our thoughts, and the behavior that we partake in when nobody is looking. That's the internal self. Then there's the side that we show our families. So how we act at home, the way we talk, the ideas we share, things like that. And then there's the front-facing public side. So the way we present ourselves to the world, the way we talk, the way we dress, the things that we post on social media our careers, the things we say that we value or believe, things like that. Now, I would suggest that the closer these three are to each other, the more stable and likable we will be. Now, no science to back this up. I don't have any research. This is just my belief that the closer those three are together, the more stable and likable we'll be. Similarly, the farther apart these three are, the more unstable we are, and the greater the risk of conflict that will arise between these three worlds. Now, the extremes of this are pretty obvious, right? When somebody is very similar in all three areas, we use words like transparent, TMI. We see see them as wearing their heart on their sleeve, right? Or they're an open book that we can read. Those are all kind of terms we use when somebody is super, super transparent in all three areas of their life. Now, when somebody is nothing alike in these areas, we actually use words like unstable, incongruent, strange, dangerous, and on some level, even diagnosable, right? To the point or the severity of a personality disorder, things like borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, or if there are distinct breaks in personality, possibly multiple personality disorder, MPD, or what's now called dissociative identity disorder. But for most of us, we're somewhere in the middle, right? We have a healthy level of transparency between the three versions of our personality. But at the same time, we do have pretty firm boundaries that are put in place between the three as well. So today, that's our topic. We're going to talk personality. Not only who we are in the three areas we just talked about, but also about our tendencies based on our unique personality types. So today's topic, transcending your type. First, we're going to go back to school. Then we're going to study ourselves. 
And then finally, we're going to set some healthy goals. So number one, going back to school. So not literally, right? I'm not asking you to re-enroll in high school. For some of you, that might seem fun, actually, a chance to relive that period of your life all over again. For others, the symptoms of PTSD are starting to set in just thinking about it. But I'm not talking about going back to high school. I'm talking about learning, learning more about yourself. And in this case, we're going to talk personality inventories. Now, we've talked about this on the show before, right? They come in the form of short little quizzes or tests or online inventories that you walk through. And then you're plopped into a category, a color, a number, a set of numbers, an animal, etc. So over the years, I've taken quite a few of these. Some because I was interested, others because it was a team thing at my place of employment, something that we all took in order to see how we fit together as a team. And none of them are really rocket science, right? None of them provided the type of certainty that blood work or a medical assessment would provide. I mean, none of them were as legit as a scientific experiment that provided 98.9% accuracy or something like that. I mean, most of these inventories are less than 100 questions and take you no more than 20 to 30 minutes to complete. So you can't expect them to be airtight proof as to who you are as a person. I guess you could look at it this way, right? When a psychologist is tasked with assessing and diagnosing a patient in the core system, they turn to assessments like the MMPI, or the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. Now, this test is 567 questions long, and it can literally take an hour to an hour and a half to complete. It's intense, and it's built on purpose to keep people from gaming the system or seeing through the questions and telling the evaluator what they think you want them to hear. But even with this level of sophistication, a psychologist won't use this as the only source of truth. They add this to a whole list of other results from other assessments in order to make an accurate diagnosis. Because it still isn't perfect. It's still unable to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt what's going on within a person behind the scenes. So if that's true, it's obvious that a 20 to 30 minute inventory isn't going to be able to diagnose us with 100% accuracy. But here's a funny little thing about those inventories. If you take them honestly... I mean, if you answer the questions based on the way you typically feel, think, and behave, you'll be shocked at the results. As you read through the supplemental information about your type or your color or your number or whatever it is, it will almost seem like you just completed the MMPI. Because the information about you is highly specific and typically very accurate. It's as if someone followed you around half your life and asked you a thousand questions in order to put it together into this little summarized personality uh, inventory. And that's just completing one. Take five, and you'll be shocked at how all of them seem to be saying the same thing, just in slightly different ways. So the color you are matches the number you are in another inventory, that sort of a thing. And there is a commonality and a cohesiveness that suggests that the people who created these inventories are on the right track. They've done their research. They seem to understand that we can be clumped into categories based on some very real and various, very obvious character traits and types. So this is what I mean by go back to school. 
If you haven't already, I'm suggesting that you take some of these inventories in order to know yourself more completely. And not just in terms of like the initial type or the category, because we often read the results and say, well, duh, I could have told you that. But it isn't the type that's important. It's the rest of the information that helps us grow, that helps us figure out what to do with the information and make a difference in our lives. But we'll talk more about that later in the episode. So here's just a short list of some of the popular inventories out there. Um, I put the links in the show notes. So if you're interested, you know, head over to the website, find this episode, and you'll have all of those links. So there's, let's just talk about the first one, which is the LOGB inventory. This is an inventory that John Trent put together. And what you end up with is one of four animals. So that one is one that I took a while ago. You have the 16 personality factor questionnaire, which is based on the Myers-Briggs platform. You have Strengths Finder, uh, version one, version two, and there may even be more since then. Um, You have Insights Discovery. Um, I'm not sure if this is one you can actually take as an individual, but I took it as part of an organization and it was super interesting. Then you have the Enneagram. Uh, You have the OSPP for temperament test and the make a difference personality profile, which is another of the four animal tests. So once you're done, you're, you're one of four animals. So that's just a quick list. Then there's more than that, but this is just a quick list I threw together. So if you're interested in, in taking your understanding of yourself to the next level, pick one of these, right? Come over to the website, grab a link, go find it, take the inventory and figure out how you um, how you measure up according to that inventory. Number two, study yourself. So the next step, assuming that you've completed at least one or two of the inventories above, is to really tune in to what the results are telling you. Now, if you don't like reading, suck it up, right? And decide this time that you're going to read the information. Maybe even decide that you're going to read additional information once you've learned which type you are. But whatever you do, don't just stop. Don't just say, I know my type now. I guess I can be done. Because after going back to school, the next step is to study yourself, to put in the work. Now, for me, this happened multiple times and in multiple ways. So looking back, I actually realized the first one I ever did, I think, was when I was a middle schooler. I still remember my parents introducing me to the first one. It was the OSPP4 temperament test. And to this day, for some reason, I can still remember the results for my family. The test clumps you into four basic categories. You have sanguine, melancholy, phlegmatic, and choleric. And I still remember my mom was uh, melancholy, as was I. My dad and my brother leaned toward being phlegmatic. And my sister was straight up choleric. Why I remember that, I don't know. But it stuck with me for all of these years. Next, as a college student and then as a graduate student, I was introduced to some of the more stringent tests because I went into counseling, the counseling field, right? Got my MSW. And so, you know, things like the MMPI, the Rorschach inkblot test, among many others, um, learned about those and what they entailed for someone taking them. And then when I entered the workforce, I kind of got into some of the more high-level ones that you would see online. So... I was introduced to these inventories as team bonding projects or, 
you know, departmental projects that we would go and we would do these, um, these inventories and then we would read all about them and we would learn how we interacted as a team. So this is where I did Strengths Finder. I went through the Insights Discovery and I think even both of the four animal tests I did in this context. So doing it this way adds a new twist, right? Yes, by taking the inventories, you learn more about yourself, but in a setting like this, it's more about the team. It's about how each team member is a little bit different, how they're wired up, how they work, and how all of us working together, pulling all of our unique differences and our unique strengths together can make a team a stronger team. Then finally, as an adult, um, you know, I've, I've talked before about being a lifelong learner. So I'm always interested in finding new things and learning new things. And the Enneagram is, is really one of those that fit into this story, right? Now, if it had been as popular back then as it is today, I probably would have already taken it. I would probably would have taken it as a group at one of my previous jobs. But for some reason, the Enneagram just hadn't blown up at that point. Then one day, out of the blue, it was a thing. And it was a big thing. And it's only gained momentum since then. So somewhere in there, um, I decided to take it on my own. Because I, I could still look back and remember hearing people say things like, well, I am a nine, so I'm always trying to keep the peace. Or, well, as an eight, I just can't stand sitting around wondering, right? We need to make a decision and move on. And that was from random people that I had ha was having conversations with. Like this wasn't even like family or close friends. This is just random people that I worked with or people that I ran into. So as I was ramping myself up, my family was also getting into it and I didn't even know it. Uh, my oldest daughter dove in head first. She read books, blog posts, articles online, all sorts of things, and basically became the resident expert in our family. She was our sounding board for all things Enneagram. And after a while, it became part of our family. It just became a shorthand that we all used to help understand what was going on in situations, right? It's thrown out there when we talk about how we view the world or how our relationships are working or, you know, why we all see and feel things differently. It's very common now for us to just share Instagram posts, TikTok videos, and other online articles about our various numbers. And at this point, even our close friends have all taken the test so that we're able to have conversations with them. Now, we called this section Study Yourself because once you've found out the information about yourself, it's time to dig in and learn more, right? To go beneath the surfacey stuff. Now, I'm going to focus on the Enneagram for the rest of this episode just because, um, you know, that's the, the main one that I've spent time with recently. But before we do that, um, I will walk through the list of the other ones and just kind of be transparent about which, which ones I am in those different inventories. So starting with the LOGB inventory, John Trent's um, for animal inventory, I came out of that one as a beaver. The 16 personality factor questionnaire based on, um, based on the Myers-Briggs stuff, um, I am an ISFJ-A, known as the Defender. In Strengths Finder, uh, that we took the 2.0 test, and the five strengths that I came back with were strategic, discipline, deliberative, relator, and responsibility. When I took the Insights Discovery, I was 98% blue, 65% green, 58% red, and then below the below the line of importance, 
if you will, clear down at 19% was yellow. In the OSPP4 temperaments test, I came back melancholy, like I said. And then the make a difference personality profile, the other four animal test, um, I came back as a camel. Now, again, all good stuff, but we don't have time to dig into what each of those mean for me, much less for you. So what I want to do is I want to focus on the Enneagram because it's what people in my life are currently focused on and because it's the one thing that I've spent considerable amounts of time trying to understand. Now, quick caveat, this may seem a little bit like a waste of your time, right? You're sitting there, you're listening to me talk about my Enneagram type. But the point isn't for you to get to know me better. I'm simply explaining the process using my type as an illustration. Now, this might be super helpful if you're a one, or if you have a family member or a spouse that's a one. But if not, simply listen to the way that I explain my type, and then use that same logic to understand your type better once you dig in and start looking at it for yourself. So here we go. Upon taking the Enneagram test, I found that I was a type one with a nine wing. Now, people who act like they know everything about the Enneagram test will tell you, oh, it's not really about the test. It's not really about the results. It's about whether or not you vibe with the results, right? Whether you believe that they are accurate or not. In other words, what they're suggesting is that you can probably just read all of the information about each of the nine numbers and then just pick the one that you like the best. Pick the one that you resonate with the most. On some level, I get it, but I don't think I 100% agree with that either. To me, it's kind of like saying, I don't really need to take driver's ed. I'm just going to watch a bunch of people drive and see which style I resonate with the most. To me, if there's an inventory, why wouldn't you walk through it and see what the algorithm suggests you are? Of course, like we said above, it's a pretty easy thing to game, right? It's a 20 to 30 minute inventory. So if you aren't willing to be all in and to answer honestly, then yeah, you might be better off just reading the descriptions and picking the one you like. But I digress, back to the explanation. So the Enneagram has a variety of different champions, if you will, right? And there's lots of different websites you can go to and you can you can even take different tests on these different websites and each of them put their little spin on the age-old concept of the Enneagram. But for this episode, I'm just going to take the bulk of my information from the Enneagram Institute, right? That's the test I took and that's where I get the bulk of my information. And according to them, a type one has three different names depending on the subtype. So a straight up type one is called the reformer. Then if you have a wing two, you're called the advocate. And if you're a wing nine, then you're referred to as the idealist. So because I'm a wing nine, um, I am the reformer and I am the idealist. Like those are the two explanations, high, high level explanations of my type, right? Now, what's a wing? A wing is just another way of saying you're a type one, but you lean toward one of the numbers on your left or right, right? You lean to one way more than the other. So for me, I'm a type one that leans more toward a nine than a two, because those are the two numbers on each side of the type one. So here's a simple description of a type one. The type one is relational, idealistic, principled, 
purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionistic. A slightly longer description, ones are conscientious and ethical with a strong sense of right and wrong. They are teachers, crusaders, and advocates for change, always striving to improve things but afraid of making a mistake. Well-organized, orderly, and fastidious, they try to maintain high standards but can slip into being critical and perfectionistic. They typically have problems with resentment and impatience. At their best, they are wise, discerning, realistic, and noble, and can be morally heroic. So that's the long description. And then there's some very specific things that each of the Enneagram numbers has as part of them. There's a basic fear, a basic desire. There is a healthy direction and an unhealthy direction. So let's walk through those four for me. Basic fear, being corrupt, evil, or defective in some way. Basic desire, to be good, to have integrity, and to be balanced. Direction when healthy, a type 1 moves toward type 7. So you start becoming more spontaneous and more joyful. When you're unhealthy, a type 1 moves toward the negative side of type 4. You can become moody and irrational. Now, what I just walked through is very high-level information, a very high-level overview, all taken off the Type 1 landing page on the Enneagram Institute, right? It isn't everything on the page. Like, there's a bit more if you're interested, but that's pretty much it. It's all pretty surfacey stuff, the stuff that most people react to like this. Well, duh, I already knew that about myself. Tell me something I don't know. And unfortunately, this is where most people stop. But if we stop, we fail to grow. We fail to transcend our type. We open the door, but choose not to walk through it for some reason, right? It's like we're okay taking a selfie with a big blow-up one and posting it all over social media so that everyone knows, but then forgetting about it an hour later. But what if that wasn't the case? What if we dug deeper For me, digging deeper happened in two ways. First, and not rocket science, it's additional study or additional reading. So I still remember one Christmas, uh, my wife bought me a book on type ones. It was a very small, simple, easy to read book with graphics and bullet lists and all sorts of things like that, but very, very helpful in fleshing out what it means to be a type one. And I've also read other more technical articles online and in books um, that just have taken my understanding of what it means to be a type one to the next level. Number two, I find all sorts of things on social media or they're sent to me through social media. Everything from quotes to phrases to mantras to lists of things to tips and tricks, suggestions, et cetera, et cetera, right? And that's really what I want to leave you with in this section, something my daughter sent me through social media. Uh, I picked this uh, Instagram post because I think it did the following. First, it helped me understand myself better. But second, it was the perfect jumping off point. It was information that I could use to take my next transcendent step. The Instagram account is Enneagram with JB, which stands for Jackie Brewster, who's a certified Enneagram coach. And the post that was sent to me was a series she did called Levels of Health. So for type ones, she basically created nine slides and each slide was a level 
moving from being healthy to unhealthy. So to save time, I'm not going to read through each of them, but I'll do one, five, and nine just so that you can kind of see the progression. So level one, the one understands that it is not their responsibility to judge others. Instead, they allow people to live according to their own convictions without feeling the need to correct them. Other people's decisions no longer stir their emotions and cause them anxiety and stress because they understand that they are only accountable for their own lives, responses, and reactions. This allows them to live their lives with integrity, focusing on what is right and wrong are good and bad for them. They are wise, discerning, and hopeful people. At a five, ones begin to have a lot of anxiety and fear worrying that others will think they are bad or wrong if they do anything against the values that they have been preaching about. They feel a great deal of stress trying to live up to their own ideals. They are rigid and structured and often very hard on themselves if they don't meet their own expectations. They make a point to stick to whatever they say and they don't allow themselves to deviate from it at all. They are organized, punctual, and maybe irritable and tense. Level 9. Ones realize that they have lost control over themselves and are participating in behaviors that they condemn for other people. They try to stop this undesirable behavior by punishing themselves or whoever they deem is the problem. If they can't stop the behavior or get away from the situation, they may resort to things like self-mutilation, self-harm, murder, or even suicide. Ouch. And that was just a taste, right? That was just three of the nine. Now, when I read through each of these nine slides, I got a very complete picture of myself, right? From the good days to the bad days, what I'm capable of when I'm healthy, and how bad things can really get if I allow myself to become unhealthy. And all of that from one Instagram post. Isn't that crazy? But that's what I mean by going deeper, by diving beneath the surface, finding information about yourself that is specific and suggests action. Only then can we move from taking selfies with our types to transcending our types. Number three, set some healthy goals. So now that we've gone back to school and we've studied ourselves, it's time to set some goals. Healthy ones, of course. Now, this will happen for people in hundreds of different ways and for hundreds of different reasons. One person might purchase a book that changes their life. Another might listen to a podcast episode. Maybe we run into somebody who helps us chart a new course in our life, or maybe it's the right quote at the right time from social media. For me, like I said, a light bulb went off when I read the Instagram series called Levels of Health. So thank you to my daughter for sending it to me, first of all, and then thank you, Jackie Brewster, for your insight. After reading through those levels, Right? I decided to pull out one thing that I could work on from each of those levels. So here they are moving from level one, which is healthy, to level nine, which is unhealthy. Level one, lean into your wise and discerning nature, allowing other people to be themselves. Level two, listen to your super ego and allow it to keep you from making poor decisions. Level three, Continue to seek your purpose and teach by actions, not just words. Number four, there is nothing wrong with striving to be better, but don't demand that others do the same. Level five, set lofty goals, but don't demand perfection of yourself or the world around you. Level six, 
Do not hold other people to the standards you have for yourself. Accept them the way they are. Level 7. Be transparent. Allow yourself to be wrong and to accept responsibility for it without feeling condemned. Level 8. Recognize when your behavior is in conflict with your morals and values and course correct. And finally, level 9. Don't demonize yourself when you're off track. Course correct and keep moving forward. Now, that's a lot to work on and a bit overwhelming if I assumed that I could force these nine things on myself every single day of my life. In fact, it actually feeds into one of my core weaknesses, which is what? Perfectionism, right? But what if I pulled one or two of these out and wrote them on a sticky note and memorized them for a week or two, you know, kept them top of mind and and really stewed on them for a while? Then at some point, move on to the next two. Or what if I did this? Maybe if I was having an exceptionally bad day, feeling really unhealthy, maybe I pull out the entire list and I identify the two or three that speak into my state of mind that day and focus on those. And finally, what if I did a bit more research into my type one triad? Now, we didn't talk about these, but I mentioned it in a roundabout way. The triad is the triangle that is formed from your type. So for me, a type one, the triad triangle is made up of one, four, and seven. When a type one is healthy, we are able to take on the positive traits of a type seven. And when a type 1 is unhealthy, we start taking on the negative traits of a type 4. Now, talking through both of these would add another 20 minutes to the episode, so I'm just going to leave it there for now. But just know that for me, as a type 1, I should really study the healthy side of type 7 and the unhealthy side of type 4 in order to fully understand my tendencies. Now, let's land the plane. So as I was working through this content this week, I had an epiphany. The question that came to my mind was this. How does my Enneagram type impact the Transcend Human podcast? In other words, does being a type 1 make the content relevant only to type 1s? Is the content created in such a way that only another type 1 would really be able to resonate with it? In other words, would a type 7 listen to the podcast and feel like they're listening to an alien from another planet? Or is it because I'm a type one that I'm even able to present the content this way? Uh, Am I using my perfectionism and my attention to detail in such a way that I'm able to take large amounts of content and package it so that the rest of the population can understand it? Again, this hit me like a ton of bricks this week. It's one of those mind-blown scenarios where you literally just sit down and don't know what to do because of the potential implications. Because answering the question one way or the other could help to make the podcast more relevant in the future. Maybe by adding some things that I've missed, right? Maybe I focused too much on type one type things, and so there were some things I missed. Or maybe there's things I could remove that are ending up being barriers for other types. But at the end of the day, that's something that I'll need to wrestle with on my own questions I can ask people and say, hey, how does this resonate with you? Do you get it? Do you not get it? What parts are good? What parts are hard for you to understand? And then over time, just make it better and better. But for you, this week, let's try the following things. First, go back to school. 
So if you've never taken a personality inventory before, try one this week, right? If you haven't done any and you can only do one, start with the Enneagram. Or if you did some a long time ago, brush them off and remind yourself what your results really were. Number two, study yourself. Take your results and dig a bit deeper. Find some things about yourself that you didn't know. And then finally, set some healthy goals. So take the things that you've learned about yourself, like who you are when you're healthy, like what you can become when you're unhealthy, and then set some goals to keep yourself on the right path. What can you do this week to keep moving in the right direction? And that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Uh, if you have a free minute, I would love it if you could subscribe to the podcast. Doesn't matter how or on what platform, just put Transcend Human in your library, right? Number two, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That's really it. Those are the two key blocks to moving up and becoming visible in the podcast ecosystem. Again, thanks for being here. Um, hope you are as excited to dive into your types this week as I was last week. Uh, next week, we're going to look at first world problems and how we can transcend some of those. So until then, everyone, have a great week. And as always, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, and as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.